So it's good to uh, be here and to um, be back at, with this group. I think I haven't been here at least for a year or two. It's always nice to come back to this uh, sloping floor. <laughs> it made me think, I was sitting here, I was thinking there's some uh, famous passages where the Buddha often says that this teaching and this practice inclines towards freedom. <laughs> so, <laughs> so everyone here is inclining, except for me, I'm <laughs> flat. So, but maybe inclining in other ways. So um, the theme I want to explore tonight is one that actually, I, I believe, uh, really connects the, the personal and the social in different ways. And that, that's a theme that has been an important one for me and many people I've worked with. And that theme is working with judgments or transforming the, particularly the harsh judgments in our mind about ourselves and others. And I want to say a little bit more about the, about the, the term. And, and what I'd like to do is to talk some about that kind of transformative work, first by talking about uh, judgments in general, and then giving some very specific ways to work in a transformative way with judgments. And so first, to, to look at the, the term itself, we use the word judgment in English in a variety of ways. And the way that I'm going to be focusing on is the one that has to do with the quality of judgment that is in judgmental. <laughs> that is the, uh, typically, and I'll be particularly focusing on harsh negative evaluations of self and others. Of the kind that might be, uh, that typically come with some charge, some reactivity, and that we know can lead to a lot of, um, a lot of suffering. A lot of personal suffering when we judge ourselves harshly. Does it sound okay? Okay. When we judge ourselves harshly, and I think that actually in this culture, maybe in Western culture of the last 100 or 200 years, I think that self-judgment becomes almost, um, is, is much more, we find it much more than we find it in other parts of the world or in other, in other past periods. It's interesting that uh, I remember the... I think in 1979, I had been uh, starting, I had been meditating, and I was uh, living at the Insight Meditation Society in Barrie, Massachusetts, and the Dalai Lama came. And he it was one of his first trips to the United States. And he was, um, gave a talk and took some questions. And I remember that, um, I think the questions were written down on cards, if I remember right. And one of the questions was from a, a young man, and he said, um, I don't consider myself really worthy. I'm not, I don't feel worthy of love. I don't feel worthy of meditating. And the Dalai Lama, this stumped him. He had uh, heard a lot of other questions up till that time, and he had given what we thought were pretty good answers for a Dalai Lama. <laughs> and, and he 
he went back and forth with his translators on that. You know, he speaks pretty good English, but he went back and forth. I mean, all this, you know, whispering into that, that back and forth. And um, finally, he came out and he said in English, after like three or four minutes of whispering back and forth, he said, you're wrong. <laughs> Usually, you know, the, the mild-mannered Dalai Lama who's very gentle, he, he just says very blunt, he said, you are wrong. You are completely deserving of love. And, and uh, he was very, very direct and blunt. And later he said that he was unfamiliar with the level of self-judging and self-blame that he found in Western culture. And, that it, and I, I've seen that also in, in um, times um, spent in Asia. That, that again, I, I don't think it means that Western culture is bad and other cultures are good. I actually, personally, I think it comes with uh, sort of a uh, occupational hazard of certain kinds of development of the self, or we might say of certain kinds of uh, individuation, particularly. Uh, so, so I don't think it's uh, simply a problem, but it's very strong. And the whole issue of particularly harsh judgments of self and other and getting the way that we um, that our relationships become more difficult because we're basically judging each other. I know in my own um, you know, close relationships, the most difficult patterns came with these knots where I judge my partner, my partner judges me, and we get stuck. Is that familiar to anyone? <laughs> right. So it's it's uh, very strong, and you know it's it also often gets in the way of people who are trying to um, help others or bring about social change. That we can often have very strong judgments about certain unnamed political leaders. Maybe <laughs> I'm certain, you know, but who are, you know you know what from whatever part of the spectrum that we can get very harsh and feel very. Um, judgmental and reactive, and the the what I have found in in doing my own personal work and working with others is that what's really um, what's really called for is actually to go deeply into the judgments and see the different parts, because typically with a judgment, there's some kind of noting of something. There's some kind of um, um, some kind of truth value. You know, like if I notice, for example, a person acting um, what would be like in a, I don't know, like in a party or something, someone is acting in a way that would be by almost everyone considered inappropriate, you know, in certain ways. And I could descriptively have a kind of neutral judgment because we use judgment sometimes in the neutral sense just to mean this is descriptively true. You know, that we, I could say that person's acting inappropriately. And if I didn't have a charge and there wasn't an edge and reactivity, I would call that more of the neutral. I could also be really reactive. I could say that person is really rude, obnoxious, and I could really be on my high horse. That's the kind we're talking about. That's where there's some. So the hallmark of judgments is typically that there's some uh, noting or some observation of something that's there. And that can have a certain amount of truth value. It can be total projection and off, but, it, but typically it has some truth value because that's what causes what we might call the hook. That's what 
hooks us in. If we think, if we notice that we're, if we make um, like an accurate observation, something in us believes that we can um, be completely self-righteous as long as we have truth on our side. You know, or that we can actually be very reactive and um, negative towards a person or ourselves. So there's something that's, that's that in which um, some kind of accurate observation gets linked with reactivity. I, I sometimes like to say that a judgment, a strong, ju- a strong, harsh judgment is an observation linked with an emotional sledgehammer. You know, you get the idea that there's something that's noted, but it has this edge or charge, and that's one of the ways we can really discern these kind of judgments, because some of them are going to be neutral. They're not going to have a charge or edge. So the ones that we're looking at would be ones that um, particularly have that edge. And the long-term work that I have found that's important is to do is to really do different kinds of inner and outer work, particularly inner work with the judgments, that lets us preserve kind of the the truth and the um, the energy that might be connected with a particular judgment. If I have a judgment, let's say of um, a politician, it might be coming from a lot of, you know, deep down, a lot, a certain amount of, uh, I don't know, um, empathy or compassion or a wish for justice and so forth. But if it, when it gets all mixed up with reactivity, that, that wish for justice often gets um, submerged and covered over by the reactivity, the anger. So the long-term work is to separate the energy and the truth of the judgment from the reactivity. And in, in my experience, that actually permits us to then act more compassionately and less reactively. And so um, that's the direction I'm going to go, that it's actually possible to work with judgments and transform them so that all the reactivity, the self-judging, I may be judging myself and I may see some things that are actually important to act on. But if I just completely use that sledgehammer to knock myself down, that basically is like um, hammering at myself. And yet, when I do the transformative work, I can actually see what might have been truthful about that comment and come at it more from compassion. So that's going to be the, that I think is actually the, the, the work that's possible with judgments. Now, what I'd like to ask you to do right now before I go further, is to just go inside for a little while, for a minute or two. And ask any judgments of this kind that I've been talking about, either about yourself or another person that may have been around, let's say, in the last few days or the last week. Invite those to be present. Just see what they are. What are those judgments that are present? Might be just one or two or three. Might be ten or twenty or <laughs> but just let those be present. Could be about oneself or one's boss or a partner or a friend.
I'd like to invite a few people, just if you could, just so we get familiar with that territory, if you could name your judgment or one of your judgments just in one sentence, what would it be? Anyone like to volunteer? Um, please, yeah. We'll come back. Someone, yeah, please. Yeah. Our government is poisoning our country, and there might be a certain energy with that, right? Because you, you said it in a more neutral. Our government is poisoning our country. Yeah, okay. So when you say your sentence, you might include just a little bit of the charge so we get that feeling. Anyone else like to, please, right there. I can't stand President Bush. Okay, okay please, uh, over, over to, your, to your right. I was actually having quite a different uh, vein of thought um, other than politics. I uh, was visiting some family in the south, and uh, we were shopping in Walmart, of all places. And I saw a child that was reaching for a toy, and uh, their parent completely lost their patience and grabbed the child in a very rough way. And my immediate reaction is, oh, no, there's an abusive parent. I should call the police. So that was, you know, an instant where maybe the parent was just frazzled, but I didn't mm-hmm. have a chance. Yeah, so there's an abusive parent with some charge. So. A few more, and if you can just say it in one sentence, without not necessarily with the story behind it. A friend said some very um, nasty things to my daughter about me. Mm -hmm. I thought she was my friend, though. So the judgment would be, she said really nasty things. Those were really nasty things to say. Okay, Maybe one or two more. I feel so physically vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And there, there's some self-judgments about that? Yeah. That as if you shouldn't. Yeah. Okay. We'll have one back here. Okay. Back. <laughs> I guess this is sort of a self-judgment, but uh, my truth is not as important as the truth of the system. And the system being? Being my work. Mm-hmm. So, so basically, it's my my truth isn't so important. Might be a way of saying it. Okay, we'll have one more. Did you want to say yours? Okay, please do, do one one. We'll do one more. Whoops. I was looking at all of them, and they have a common thread of a lack of trusted judgment. They have a lot of trust. A lack of trust. And is that that's your in judgment? Their, in their judgment. They don't trust their judgments. My my <laughs> criticism or my I'm losing it. My judgment was that I had a lot that 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 I didn't trust mm-hmm. the decisions that were made. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have the okay, one one more, Deborah, and this will be the last one. Greed and avarice are destroying my children's future. Okay. Greed and avarice are destroying my... That, that's all for now. So we can bring the mic. <laughs>
so, so we get the flavor. We, we, they're, they're, so for all of them, there could be some significant truth value. But what happens, and even the way they were stated, they, they seem a little bit innocent. Right? They, but we know that actually when we get into lived experience, they can, they can really make uh, relationships very hard. And, they, and we, when you get caught in self-judgments, they can, it can really be very, very painful. And so I, I have found that this uh, work is actually focusing on judgments is one of the most powerful ways, and kind of unexpectedly I have found this, both in my own experience and working with people, that it's much as if, uh, much like uh, Freud talked about dreams as a royal road to the unconscious. And I found that working with judgments is, it can be a very uh, powerful way to go quite deeply into the psyche. Um, in Western psychological language, we would say that it goes deeply into the unconscious. It can take us deeply into the unconscious, our core beliefs about ourselves, about reality, things that we hardly know. And following the trail of the judgments can really take us down to see that. In Buddhist language, we would say that it, that following judgments takes us into some core structures of our views and particularly our whole notion of self often and can be that and is a way that and also takes us into a lot of the sources of aversion and conflict. And so it's a very powerful uh, path to follow. And somewhat unexpectedly, um, well, I should back up. Um, I think personally, I was conditioned to be somewhat, maybe not more than somewhat, I was conditioned to be a judgmental person. And so in 12-step language, I would say, I'm a recovering judgmental person <laughs> sitting before you. And, and um, you know, connected with that judgment is also, you know, a certain value of discernment, of seeing things. But it also was something that, that was connected with a certain amount of self-judging and judging of others. And basically, I would say one of my main patterns or habits was to uh, use judgments to gain a sense of moral and spiritual superiority. Quite useful. <laughs> In a certain, so I thought. And, and, and yet when I started uh, practicing meditation, they became pretty obvious and pretty clear. And the, it's really been a theme for a long time. Probably about 12 years ago, I started doing some further work on judgments that led, that led yet deeper and started teaching on the theme, I think about four or five years ago. I did a day long at Spirit Rock, I think about four years ago. And it was well received, pretty, pretty well attended. And I thought that, uh, well, that was it. I did my day long, I'll go home. And people gathered around me after the day long and said, we want, to do, we want to look at this more. It doesn't happen so much with other themes. Mindfulness, everyone goes home. You know? <laughs> you know, others, even other really powerful things, people just do it, they go home, you know, whatever. But judgments, no. They gather around, they said, we want more. And so we actually, uh, we started a group uh, that started meeting. And I thought we'd just meet two or three times. And after two times, I said, well, that's, that's it, right? And they said, no, we want more. And they kept on saying that. We've been actually meeting about three and a half years um, on a monthly basis. And it's not the same people continue the whole way through, but a lot of people 
stayed for a year or even up to two years. And it's been really uh, fascinating to work with, to work with people on these themes. And um, I've seen people who've had patterns uh, being very judgmental, particularly judgmental towards self, 30, 40, 50 years of patterns, be able to make shifts within a year. It takes a while. This is, it's because it's deep material, it takes a while to work with. That's, I think, why the group makes sense, because it gives that continued support over a um, sustained period. And so um, it, it's clearly a very, it's, it's, when I work with people on all sorts of themes, it's one of the top three issues that people bring up. Uh, the top three, I would say, are judgments, anger, how do I work with anger in a meditative way? Shouldn't I be a nice Buddhist and not be angry? And the third theme is uh, relation, intimate relationships. How do I bring my practice into intimate relationships? Interesting that those are the top three. They're judgments, anger, and intimate relationships, right? There's a connection. And so what I'd, what I'd like to do, I think, for the rest of the time is share some of the main ways of working with judgments that I have found useful and ones that hopefully um, you can take home with you, some of them. And I think I want to talk about five, five main ways of working with judgments. The first is using mindfulness. And it's really, um, it's really perhaps our basic tool. And it's using mindfulness both in, in our meditation and then in our daily life. It's really noticing when the judgments appear. Noticing them labeling them often, and that was my main practice for a long time. I would just sit and meditate, judgment, judgment, judgment. <laughs> there are a lot of judgments, judgment. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's, and it's actually, yeah, so, so working with mindfulness like that and just naming the judgments, seeing them, noticing them, and sometimes when they're strong, use, you know, mindfulness works in a few different ways. One of them is just to name what's there. So we, in a sense, uh, get out of our usual trance. Our usual trance is we're just running around kind of not quite knowing what's happening. And with mindfulness, we start to cut into that trance. So just the naming that there's judgment, a very powerful tool. And for, for I think for all of us, that's, that's maybe the basic tool. Then when they're strong, when judgments are stronger, we can actually work to actually study what it feels like in the body and in the mind to really notice, okay, there's a really strong self-judgment now that's happening. Let me just notice it. Let me study how it is in the body, the mind, and that becomes like a, an entryway to going more deeply to study it. And again, we do this many, many times. The whole I, I like to think of um, mindfulness practice doesn't, I mean, sometimes there are very sudden insights and we see things, but a lot of the time it's looking at the same territory over and over and over again. And a lot of the learning happens, not so much just in seeing the judgments five times or ten times, but in seeing them 500 times or a thousand times. And often, I'm sure many of you have had this experience of, ha of looking and something that I didn't see when I looked 50 times or 100 times, I saw the 200th time something went, um, you know, something just, I just learned something. I see, oh, that's there. It kind of like, uh, and that's how mindfulness works. So it's, one has to have that quality of patience. I, rem I remember just um, 
A few weeks ago, I talked with Joseph Goldstein, you know, who, who is one of our uh, beloved teachers who lives on the East Coast, and I was talking to him about judgments, and he said his favorite tool for working with judgments is to count them. And he gives, he gives this tool to people on retreats. He said, if you count judgments and if you reach 500, judgments will never be the same. That's his tool. So judgment, judgment one, judgment two. And he, gives, he suggests that as a tool. That's really kind of a mindfulness tool. And it lets us see how much they're around, which can be, again, I, I find with the people that I work with in the groups, when we start studying judgments closely, we have to be careful because we can get judgmental about there being so many judgments. And I, I like to call that the stealth judgment because it kind of slides in under the radar. You know, that, because it's a commentary about how many judgments there are, part of our mind thinks it doesn't count as a judgment and actually can be quite insidious and really just hook right into the self-judging without our hardly noticing it. So if you're interested in judgments, watch out for the stealth judgment. And watch out for that. So that's the first way of, of uh, working, with, uh, working with judgments. A second way of working with judgments really comes out of mindfulness. And that, as we get deeper, we start to be able to see the patterns that our judgments are connected with. And so instead of noticing them just in the moment, we start to see them as connected with uh, larger patterns of judgments or larger patterns of mind. And so we start to see, oh, when this happens, when, let's say, I, something goes, doesn't go right in my life. Let's say something doesn't go right at work. And that happens. And I notice myself starting to judge myself. And, you know, if I don't have the mindfulness, I'll just find myself in a funk. And so it becomes really important after a while to start seeing not just the judgment as isolated, but to start to see the patterns. I mean, this is generally something that we do in mindfulness practice, which is really crucial. We start to get some sense over time of the larger patterns and, um, and really just notice how that happens, what the stimulus is, what the typical pattern is. So, for example, um, one of the times that I was looking a lot at judgments was when I was um, going, I'll, I'll camouflage the situation a little bit, but I was going to meetings and I had to meet with the person who was like the head of the institution I was part of. And I had to meet with him about every two weeks and I thought that he was a really, um, uh, not a very good listener. And I would say things and I was in a, in a position of lesser power, let's say, lesser authority. And I would say things and I felt like he wasn't uh, listening to me. He would just, I would say something, he would just change the subject. I wasn't the only one he did this with. And, you know, it, actually there were, you know, a lot of people had similar observations and probably similar judgments as developed with me. So I, so I was meeting with him for about two years. And I was, at that time, uh, working with a mentor who was really helping me to explore the whole field of judgments. And so I, we took that um, interaction as like a laboratory. And so I actually started to study the patterns there, started to study what would happen. And I got actually really, really interested in it. I would almost take, sometimes I would take those meetings, which were like two hours every two weeks. I would take them, okay, this is, this is my retreat day. I get to study my judgments. I was also trying to 
you know, interact with him and respond and so forth. But um, what I started finding was that when I wasn't listened to, uh, I, I would go, I would just kind of, I basically would withdraw emotionally and, and go to a stance of uh, judgment. You know, and I started studying that. I noticed, oh, there's a pattern. You know, I'm not listened to. And then suddenly I found myself emotionally withdrawn in a stance of distanced moral superiority. Quite uh, comfortable in some ways, <laughs> but not in other ways, you know. Was, and is that pattern familiar to anyone here? Okay. Yeah, it's, it's a common one. So I got to study it. And over time, I got to slow down the process. Because what happens when we study things is, at first it was just bang, you know, he's not listening, and then I suddenly found myself in this other state of mind. And so I got to really study those patterns and slow them down, identify them, look out, really notice them, see what it was feeling like. See, and I, I got to see, actually, that there were some intermediate steps between the... Um, between the original stimulus and the later reaction. I got to see, oh, that actually if I really am mindful, I noticed that there was a moment where I don't really feel very good, you know, where I feel um, some sadness and pain for not being listened to. Because in many ways, what I think what we as human beings, like, it's very deep that we want to be seen and heard. And when we're not seen and heard, most of us go somewhere because it's very, it's very painful. And so I got to see that and notice it. And actually, when I would start to notice what was difficult or painful, I actually, that was, and I could notice myself starting to go into this stance of distance, moral superiority, and emotional withdrawal. And at that point, I actually had a choice, because I could feel the tendency to going there. But it's, this is what mindfulness does when you look at patterns. Everything gets slowed down and you can actually have some choices. That's really what our practice is about, to notice things deeply enough and to notice the beginning of tendencies, and then we actually have some choice. And so that's the second way to work with judgments, is to really study the various patterns closely. The third way to work with judgments, I think, is, is kind of a balance of that. It's really working with, um, or maybe I'll, I'll mention another one that's related to that. And uh, yeah, but the third one I want to mention is is related to what I just said, and this came about probably about eight or nine years ago. And I was doing some retreats, and I was uh, I, I found that there were um, some strong self judgments that were appearing, and I was working with um, a person who's been a mentor for me, John Travis, and we developed a practice that was really really interesting which was that um, he had me at the end of every sitting, and I did this for about, uh, I, I was doing a longer retreat, about two months. So at the end of every sitting, I summoned the judgment that had been around in the last 24 hours. And when I, at the beginning of the retreat, I summoned the judgments that had been there. And I was coming from a period when I had been working really hard, and in my mind, not doing enough meditation. And I was really getting, I, and I, uh, went on leave from the work I was doing, and I was kind of a little bit down on myself. You should have been meditating more, you know, blah, blah, blah. And actually, it was quite harsh, comparing myself to other people. And, um, and John uh, noticed it right away, 
that this was happening. And what, I, what he invited me to do was to really bring those judgments into my consciousness, which is not usually what we do with our practice. We usually don't invite negative tendencies to be there. But in this case, we did. And that, in that sense, it's a little more, we might say, tantric or more like certain Tibetan practices where you invite some of the negative energies there to work in a purifying way. And so I invited the judgments there, and he invited me to let them be present. And then, when, and, and I, my mind was fairly quiet. And then he said, when, you, when they kind of announce themselves and play themselves out, bring your attention to your heart and your body, your, your torso, and kind of listen to what's there. And I did that, you know, it probably, I was kept on doing that. And after a certain point, I came to see uh, that all of the judgments, when I actually listened deeply beneath the words, there was some kind of pain there. There was some kind of pain. Sometimes it was sadness. Sometimes it was um, some kind of uh, anger. Sometimes there was some kind of just some, some grief or something. And he had me also do this with small judgments when I would notice them in the moment. So I would be on retreat at the food line and I would um, work, I would uh, notice myself saying, okay, they have tacos today and they've arranged the condiments so that it takes a half hour to go through the line. And we get, you know. Anyone who's been at a retreat knows that getting fed on time is very important. <laughs> and, so, and so what I would do is I would do the same thing. I would, I would work with the um, judgments and I'd bring myself to my body and my heart, and the judgment that said they should get the food line more together. When I would bring it down, I would say, oh, there's also some pain. There's, there's actually impatience. Or when, I'd be, when I would do this in daily life and just be at a traffic light and someone in front of me would have a cell phone and start 10 seconds late and I would have a judgment, I would drop it down and say, what's there? And there'd be some kind of pain. What I found in looking at that was every judgment that I saw had some kind of unacknowledged pain that in a sense was driving it. it would, and it would be connected with the observation. And when I actually stayed with what was painful and had awareness and kind of a compassionate awareness with what was painful, whether it was my own sadness or pain or the, um, just the impatience, at the traffic light or at the food line, when I stayed with that, the pain tended to get healed. And the judgments over time didn't come in the same way. I think this is something that we know from our practice, that basically an open, compassionate awareness to something painful or difficult is healing. It's one of the great powers of this practice. Some of you may think we're just here to get into bliss, but there's also... (laughs) There's also this quality, there's this deep healing and purifying quality which is possible with the practice. And with the judgments, it would be, it would be like that. I would notice, uh, and so just keeping on going back there and being present, I would invariably find there was some kind of pain beneath the judgments. What I came to see, therefore, was that judgments were a kind of defense mechanism against feeling the pain. And that when I could actually feel the pain, and that was the core way of separating out what I would call the intelligence of the judgment from the reactivity. Because the reactivity is there, because it's trying 
to make us not feel something painful. Because <coughs> I could be really direct about that. And so the, the, the transformative work on judgments, if you're, if you're following me, in touching what's beneath the judgment and touching the pain with a kind of healing awareness transforms the judgment so that it stays as intelligence and energy but then is in the service of compassion. Compassionate action rather than reactivity. And for me, this is, if I, this is a quick way of saying why this would be so important for social action. Because we, we can take a lot of our political judgments, if they're really harsh and reactive, come because there's something that's actually quite painful that we don't want to touch. And it leaves us going a little bit around in circles. And it also leaves us pretty reactive so that a lot of social change groups, there's a lot of free-floating reactivity and anger in the group. They're really kind of often nasty to each other. And this is in part because the, the judgments haven't really been worked with adequately. And so in doing that uh, transformative work with the judgments, the intelligence gets liberated from the reactivity and can be at the service of compassionate action. And that, to me, is really, really crucial, whether towards oneself or towards others. And I, in fact, found that um, as I did that work and really learned to just go right from the judgment to the sense of the pain beneath it, I also started to be able to do that with others. If others would be judgmental, I could, at that time I could tune into their pain. I could tune into what was there. When judgments came at me, I could often not take the judgments personally or seriously, but actually feel the person's pain beneath the judgment. For a time after doing I did that work for about two years, and a, a lot of it, and for, during that time, I actually really wanted to be around judgmental people. <laughs> it was interesting. I mean, there was something that just was, there was some kind of empathy. Was, I, I want, you know, when I was around judgmental people, I thought, yes, let me, ha- let me hear your judgments. Um, that did not last. Uh, for for a long time, but it was there, and it still is there. When I when I can you can understand how that would work, and so that's that really get, kind of gets to the transformative crux. But I want to maybe in closing just mention one other aspect of working with judgment. And there maybe there are a lot of others that I'm not mentioning, and that is that in working with people with uh, on the theme of judgment, it's really important to not just work with the mindfulness, the study of the judgment, but also to work with moving towards, not just towards the pain beneath judgments, but also towards joy and beauty and love. And that in working with people, I found that balance really crucial. In a way, the, the uh, judgments are there because it's hard to be, because the pain is basically driving the judgment. And so it's been really crucial for anyone doing judgment work to have a practice where they go to the beautiful, to, the, to metta, to loving kindness, to joy and hang out there. And for some people, they spend a lot of time going into what's painful and it's possible to get out of, a little out of balance. And so it's really crucial to have like a dual practice of both going into what's difficult and then also deliberately going into the beautiful, the positive. And I found that both personally important and in the people I've worked with. And often they had to really, after really going deeply into judgments, spend a lot of time just being with the beautiful and the positive. And something, I think, really important for anyone who works in the territory of judgments. Last thing I'll say is that 
there's also a very important place, which I'm not going to be, be able to talk so much about here, about connecting that inner work, which has been the primary focus of what I've said, with uh, a skill in responding outwardly to others. That's really crucial. And I'm going to have to really be like totally brief on that. Maybe that can come up in the discussion. But it's really crucial to have this uh, quality. The inner work is always valuable. Sometimes, it depends on the conditions, we can also try to be skillful when there are judgments coming at us or when we feel judgmental towards the other. So, for example, I learned better with my boss who was, I thought, uh, a poor listener. I learned to be able to say to him without judgment, I'm not sure you heard what I said. <laughs> it's, I, it's a really important point and I want to keep on making it. You know, and there are a lot of ways to use language to actually be very skillful even when one's in the field of judgments. And there's a lot more to say on that, um, but I think I, I will stop there. And let me see, I wanted to end with something. The, the direction of the judgment work is towards revealing that unacknowledged pain, liberating the intelligence, and, kind of, and the whole process leads towards a kind of very, I think of a, a much more compassionate view of human beings and of ourselves. That we're all, that, that the pain that we have makes things hard. So this is a beautiful passage from um, Thomas Merton that I want to end with, in which he talks about that having worked through judgment and coming to the place of just seeing uh, really more the beauty both of oneself and others. Then it was as if I suddenly saw, and this is actually something that happened to him. Thomas Merton was a Catholic monk who was one of the bridges between East and West and died in 1968. He lived in Kentucky. And this was, this was something that happened on a, um, a trip to the doctor in Louisville. Then it was as if I suddenly saw the secret beauty of hearts, the depths of their hearts, where neither sin nor desire nor self-knowledge can reach the core of their reality the person that each one truly is. If only they could see themselves as they really are. If only we could see each other that way all the time, there would be no more war, no more hatred, no more cruelty, no more greed. I suppose the big problem is that we would fall down and worship each other. <laughs> and so that's the, that's the direction. But we have, this, we have these judgments which stand in the way of us worshiping each other. And I, so I think it's really... Um, I think for us in this culture, it's actually really important work. So I'll stop there and take any um, comments or questions. So thank you. Okay, thanks. Um, since Ken Wilbur was mentioned earlier, um, something that's been kind of going on in my head is it, from the system's theory perspective and here my judgment <laughs> is that um, our government has created a very unhealthy organism for us and my my perception is that the rest of the world there's a lot of negative energy basically being directed at us from the rest of the world and so my judgment is I feel like I'm set, well, suddenly or not suddenly, I am now living in a very toxic organism. Mm -hmm. And I would like to work with that judgment or it feels very stuck. 
So mm. c is there anything you can say to kind of get that judgment unstuck? How many people often share something like that judgment? So it's, so it's not just you. Um, it's a good question. Um, well, you can do all of the four practices I mentioned, you know, and work, work, work with those. And so essentially, um, because it, it's, um, when, you, when, when your understanding of the situation comes down to a, one statement like that, it's, we might say that it's not very nuanced, right? It's, it's really just, and that, that, that's the hallmark of, uh, of there being pain there. There's a lot of pain. And so when we have very, like, very simple judgments that we take to be the complete truth, that's a good sign that there's something more to look beneath it. So you could do all of those practices that, that, I, that I mentioned and, and actually find that this most likely, probably many of us share, is a lot of sadness, grief, anger, and so forth. And it's really important to touch that. And there, it's, it's not so easy to do. I mean, I, actually, I, a lot of the work, uh, actually just last weekend I was teaching in Santa Cruz and doing some work um, based on the work of Joanna Macy, who is a, a Berkeley local treasure. And she's developed ways of opening up to basically the pain that we feel in relation to the world. And so there, there are ways of opening to that both individually and in groups. So that, that would be, that's one thing. And then secondly, I think that it, you also might, without losing, as it were, the intelligence of that judgment, I think it might be good to balance it by also tuning into the beauty of the, um, you know, whatever, of this country, the history, whatever, that finding ways to do that. If, you know, not to force that, but there are ways of, um, and, and I know, I'm reflecting on myself, I know that personally, um, having lived under almost no presidents that I could, as a, you know, as an adult, that I could really respect very much, it, it tends to get a little negative. And that's my personal story. And it's actually, it's really beautiful to listen. You listen to the speeches of Martin Luther King, for example. You hear a lot of love of the country. And so it's tuning into that love. And I have felt that when I've been uh, in other countries. You know, whether it's, uh, in some of it, sometimes it comes more easily through music and art. Like, you know, like I found in being in Thailand. I, uh, and here we had, we did, we had a, like a, I won't get too much into the story, but basically that I, I was there and we, I was with groups of people, an organization called the International Network of Engaged Buddhists, and we would have what we would call cultural sharing in the evenings. And people would, you know, and I was there with uh, Alan Sanaki, some of you know, who is director of the Buddhist Peace Fellowship for a lot of years. And Alan's also a professional musician, and he would sing American folk songs. And I would just feel this love of the country that I really didn't always, wasn't always in touch with that comes through the music. So I would, that would be the second thing. So it's pretty much similar to those four guidelines. Go into the pain, but also connect with the beauty. That would be, yeah, please. Uh, no, no. You mean, mean that particular method? sacred and yeah. it's transpersonal psychology and everything you said is so much in line. Yeah, I think, I think it's fairly shared by a lot of approaches. That, that, yeah. One, um, right behind you. 
Um, I'm relate, trying to relate your stuff to the uh, Marshall Rosenberg nonviolent communication way of working with judgment. And mm -hmm. I think you've got some ex exposure to that, yeah. don't you? Yeah, do. uh, any comments on what you find there? I, I know less about the direct way that he would uh, work with judgment more, you know, in a psychological or meditative way. But I do, I do know, uh, and this is part of the, you know, part of what we've explored in that monthly group, that we, we spend a lot of time actually looking at how to, not just how to do the inner work, which has been the major focus tonight, but how to, how to um, respond skillfully so as not to keep the cycle of judgments going. And there, uh, the work of nonviolent communication is, is really a very important tool. And the ba it, it has to do with the use of language, like the skillful use of language that if you get a judgment coming towards you if, or if there is a judgment in my mind, one can use language in a way which sort of um, cuts the cycle of the judgments. And his work is very helpful there. A lot of it comes from talking directly, more directly about one's own experience. And that becomes a real key here. So because the judgments, in many ways, take us out of our experience. Uh, and, and so it's always helpful just to actually, what am I actually feeling? Because a lot, as I mentioned, a lot of what judgments do is they take us, again, not that it, they take us to a level of thinking or intelligence that has some, something to contribute, but it's often not really in touch with the underlying emotions. And so his work says, let your use of language be connected with uh, really being in touch with what you're feeling, for example. That's a very short answer. Yeah. I think we have just time for one more. We try to finish pretty much at 9.30, don't we? Okay, so we'll just take one more and then we'll finish up. I was wondering if you could um, share your thoughts on non-reactive judgment and the role that has in interpersonal relationships or... Non-reactive. Non non-reactive. Yeah, yeah well, it, well, as we transform the judgments, I think they become non-reactive. So I was calling that by different words. I was talking about it as intelligence. And um, I think, you know, in some traditions it's called discernment. It's a very, I mean, it's, you know, what we often use judgment in a neutral way to just mean noticing something, really seeing something clearly, for example. And that's utterly crucial. And so, uh, so we have to be careful with the way we use the language. And so uh, if I'm understanding you rightly, what you're asking, a non-reactive judgment, meaning, you know, like I, you know, could be friendly feedback to a friend. Is that what you're really, really asking about? And so um, the key there is to really know oneself where one's coming from, to really know uh, that it, it truly is non-reactive. And, and then, then there's a huge place, and then it, then it enters into the larger, you know, the larger territory of what is skillful speech, what's the nature of our relationship, what's appropriate. But it can be... Um, if the, if the uh, noticing of something important is coming out of compassion and care, uh, it can be extremely helpful. You know, the, 
But it's also helpful to have other qualities. You know, the, uh, the Buddha talked about wise speech as having four basic qualities. Being truthful. So we can be truthful and highly judgmental. So the Buddha added another three. <laughs> you know, truthful, helpful, kind and warm. We can also bring in compassion. And then he also said good timing. You have to have good timing. Buddha emphasized good timing quite often. And it's interesting because you can be truthful, helpful, really warm, and have horrible timing. And it's not going to work, <laughs> you know, the communication. So it's really uh, really tuning into those. So, so wise speech becomes a kind of discipline. But in that context, um, truthful speech in relation to a friend or a situation where, the, where it's non-reactive can be extraordinarily important and helpful. That's what you were getting at, really. Yeah, thank you. So I think we, we end typically with, um, well, on this sheet it just says end. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I'll end just with a, what? Yeah, what I'll invite you to do is to take 30 seconds or minutes and tune in to whatever may have been helpful from the evening and any intentions that you bring out of the evening. And we, we close by remembering that we do this practice of awareness and mindfulness and opening the heart, not just for ourselves, but for others as well. And we offer the fruits of the evening, the learning, the insights, whatever is valuable, we offer it outward beyond these walls for the benefit of all. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.